Welcome to Sleepy Head Stories today. We love to read books, be silly, and play. Me and my mommy are here every week to read you great stories that all are unique. Join us at bedtime, or bath time, or breakfast. We promise it's better than a trip to the dentist. Welcome to Sleepyhead Stories. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Sleepyhead Stories. Thanks for waiting patiently. This week we are going to be reading chapter 3 in The Wind in the Willows, which is The Wild Wood. We've been busy during this time home and I am actually in the process of doing a narration voiceover for a published book that will be on Audible, and it's taking up a lot of my time because it's a long, long book, and it's not a children's book. It's a scholarly book, and it's a bit of a change for me, so it takes up a lot of my time. I'm sorry we are a couple weeks late on releasing this chapter. I'm going to try my best to keep doing these once a week, guys, so... Right after these messages, we will get to the Wild Wood, Chapter 3. Chapter 3, The Wild Wood The mole had long wanted to make the acquaintance of the badger. He seemed, by all accounts, to be such an important person and though rarely visible to make his unseen influence felt by everybody about the place. But whenever the mole mentioned his wish to the water rat, he found himself put off. "'It's all right,' the rat would say. "'Badger'll turn up some day or another. "'He'll always turn up, and then I'll introduce you. "'The best of fellows, but you must not only take him as you find him, "'but when you find him.' "'Couldn't you ask him here to dinner or something?' said the mole. "'He wouldn't come,' replied the rat simply. "'Badger hates society, and invitations, and dinner, and all sorts of that kind of thing.' "'Well, then supposing we go and call on him,' suggested the mole. "'Oh, I'm sure he wouldn't like that at all,' said the rat, quite alarmed. "'He's so very shy,' He'd be sure to be offended. I've never even ventured to call on him at his own home myself, though I know him so well. Besides, we can't. It's quite out of the question because he lives in the very middle of the wild wood. Well, supposing he does, said the mole. You told me the wild wood was all right, you know. Oh, I know, I know, so it is, replied the rat evasively. But I think we won't go there just now. Not just yet. It's a long way, and he wouldn't be at home at this time of year anyhow, and he'll be coming along again some day, if you wait quietly. The mole had to be content with this, but the badger never came along, and every day brought its amusements, and it was not till summer was long over, and cold and frost and miry ways kept them much indoors, and the swollen river raced past outside their windows with a speed that mocked at boating of any sort of kind, that he found his thoughts dwelling again with much persistence on the solitary gray badger who lived his own life 
by himself in his hole in the middle of the wild wood. In the winter time, the rat slept a great deal, retiring early and rising late. During his short day, he sometimes scribbled poetry or did other domestic jobs about the house, and of course there was always animals dropping in for a chat, and consequently there was a good deal of storytelling and comparing notes on the past summer and all its doings. Still, the mole had a good deal of spare time on his hands. And so, one afternoon, when the rat was in his armchair, before the blaze was alternately dozing and trying over rhymes that wouldn't fit, he formed the resolution to go out by himself and explore the wild wood and perhaps strike up an acquaintance with Mr. Badger. It was a cold, still afternoon with a hard, steely sky overhead when he slipped out of the warm parlor into the open air. The country lay bare and entirely leafless around him, and he thought that he had seen so far and so intimately into the insides of things as that winter day when nature was deep in her annual slumber and seemed to have kicked the bedclothes off. With great cheerfulness of his spirit, he pushed on towards the wildwood, which lay before him low and threatening, like a black reef in some still southern sea. There was nothing to alarm him at first. Twigs crackled under his feet. Logs tripped him. Funguses on stumps resembled caricatures and startled him for a moment, but their likeness to something familiar and far away, that was all fun and exciting. It led him on, and he penetrated to where the light was less, and trees crouched nearer and nearer and holes made ugly mouths on either side. Everything was very still now. The dark advanced on him steadily, rapidly, gathering in behind and before, and the light seemed to be draining away like flood water. Then the faces began. It was over his shoulder, and indistinctly, that he first thought he saw a face, a little evil wedge-shaped face, looking out on him from a hole. When he turned and confronted it, the thing had vanished. He quickened his pace, telling himself cheerfully not to begin imagining things, or there would be simply no end to it. He passed another hole, and another, and another, and then, yes, no, yes. Certainly, a little narrow face with hard eyes had flashed up for an instant from a hole, and then was gone. He hesitated, braced himself up for an effort, and strode on. Then, suddenly, and as if it had been so all the time, every hole, far and near, and there, were hundreds of them, seemed to possess its faces, coming and going rapidly, all fixing on him, glancing of malice and hatred, all hard-eyed and evil and sharp. If he could only get away from the holes in the banks, he thought, there would be no more faces, he swung off the path and plunged into the untrodden places of the wood. Then the whistling began. Very faint and shrill it was, and far behind him when he first heard it, but somehow it made him hurry forward. Then, very faint and still and shrill, it sounded farther away, ahead of him, and it made him hesitate and not want to go back. As he halted in indecision, it broke out on either side of him and seemed to be caught up 
and passed on throughout the whole length of the wood to its farthest limit. They were up and alert and ready, evidently whoever they are, and he, he was alone and unarmed and far away from any help, and the night was closing in. Then the pattering began. He thought it was only falling leaves at first. So slight and delicate was the sound of it. Then, as it grew and took a regular rhythm, he knew it was nothing else but the pat-pat-pat of little feet, still a very long way off. Was it in front of him or behind him? It seemed to be first one, and then the other, and then both. It grew and it multiplied, till every quarter as he listened anxiously, leaning this way and that way, it seemed to be closing in on him. As he stood still, to hearken, a rabbit came running hard towards him through the trees. He waited, expecting it to slacken its pace or swerve from around him and to go in a different way. Instead, the rabbit almost brushed up against him as it dashed past, his face set and hard, his eyes staring. "'Get out of this, you fool! Get out!' The mole heard him mutter as he swung round a stump and disappeared down a friendly burrow. The pattering increased till it sounded like a sudden hail on the dry leaf carpet spread around him. The whole wood seemed running now, running hard, hunting, chasing, closing in, round or something, somebody. In panic, he began to run too. Aimlessly, he knew not where. He ran up against things, he fell over things, into other things, he darted under things and dodged around things. At last, he took refuge in a deep, dark hollow of an old beech tree, which offered shelter, concealment, perhaps even safety, but who could tell? Anyhow, he was too tired to run any further, and he could only snuggle down into the dry leaves which had drifted into the hollow and hope he was safe for a time. As he lay there panting and trembling and listening to the whistles and the patterings outside, he knew it was, at last, in all its fullness, the dread thing which other little dwellers in the field and hedgerow had encountered here, and known as their darkest moment, that thing which the rat had vainly tried to shield him from, the terror of the wild wood. Meantime, the rat, warm and comfortable, dozed by the fireside. His paper and half-finished verses slipped from his knee, his head fell back, his mouth opened, he wandered the banks of dream rivers. Then a coal slipped, the fire crackled, and sent up a spurt of flame, and he woke up with a start. Remembering what he had been engaged upon, he reached down to the floor for his verses, poured over them for a minute, and then looked round for the mole to ask him if he knew a good rhyme for something or other. But the mole was not there. He listened for a time. The house seemed very quiet. Then he called, Molly, several times, and receiving no answer, got up and went out into the hall. The mole's cap was missing from its accustomed peg. His galoshes, which always lay beside the umbrella stand, were gone. The rat left the house and carefully examined the muddy surface of the ground outside, hoping to find the mole's tracks. There they were, sure enough. The galoshes were new, just bought for that winter, and the pimples on their soles were fresh and sharp. He could see the imprints of them in the mud, running along straight and purposeful, leading directly to the wild wood. The rat looked very grave. 
and stood deep in thought for a minute or two. Then he re-entered the house, strapped a belt round his waist, shoved a brace of pistols into it, took up a stout cuddle that stood in the corner of the hall, and set off for the wild wood at a smart pace. It was already getting toward dusk when he reached the first fringe of trees and plunged without hesitation into the wood, looking anxiously on either side of for a sign of his friend. Here and there, wicked little faces popped out of holes, but vanished immediately out of sight. His pistols greatly crudged against his waist. He grasped, and the whistling and pattering which he had heard quite plainly on his first entry died away and ceased, and all was very still. He had patiently hunted through the wood for an hour or more, when at last to his joy he had heard a little answering cry. Guiding himself by the sound, he made his way through the gathering darkness to the foot of an old beech tree with a hole in it, and from out that hole came a feeble voice saying, Ratty, is that really you? The rat crept into the hollow, and there he found the mole, exhausted and still trembling. Oh, rat, he cried. I've been so frightened. You can't think. Oh, I quite understand, said the rat soothingly. You shouldn't really have gone and done it, mole. I did my best to keep you from it. Of course, if you were badger or otter, it'd be quite another manner. Surely the brave Mr. Toad wouldn't have mind coming here himself, would he? inquired the mole. Old Toad? said the rat, laughing heartily. He wouldn't have shown his face here alone, not for a whole hateful of golden genuines Toad wouldn't. The mole was greatly cheered by the sound of the rat's careless laughter, and as well as by the sight of his stick and his gleaming pistols. And he stopped shivering, and he began to feel bolder and more like himself again. Now then, said the rat presently, we really must pull ourselves together and make a start for home while there's still a little light left. I will never do spend the night here in the wild wood. You understand? It's too cold, for one thing. Dear Ratty, said the poor mole, I'm dreadfully sorry, but I'm simply deadbeat, and that's a solid fact. You must let me rest here for a little while longer and get my strength back if I'm going to get home at all. Oh, oh all right, said the good-natured rat. Rest away. It's pretty nearly pitch dark now, anyhow, and there ought to be a bit of a full moon later. So the mole got well into the dry leaves and stretched himself out and presently dropped off into sleep through a broken and troubled sort the rat covered himself up too as best as he might for warmth and lay patiently waiting with a pistol in his paw when at last the mole woke up much refreshed and in his usual spirits the rat said now then i'll just take a look outside and see if everything's quiet and then we really must be off he went to the entrance of their retreat and put his head out then the mole heard him saying quietly to himself, Hello, hello, here is a go. What's up, Ratty? asked the mole. Snow is up, replied the rat briefly, or rather down. It's snowing hard. 
The mole came and crouched beside him, and looking out, saw the wood that had been so dreadful to him in a quiet and unchanged aspect. Holes, hollows, pools, pitfalls, and other black menaces to the wayfarer were vanishing fast, and a gleaming carpet was springing upon everywhere that looked too delicate to be trodden upon by rough feet. A fine powder filled the air and caressed the cheek with a tingle in its touch, and the black boles of the trees showed up in a light that seemed to come from below. "'Well, well, it can't be helped,' said the rat after pondering. "'We must make a start and take our chance, I suppose. "'The worst of it is I don't exactly know where we are, "'and snow makes everything look so very different.' "'It did indeed. "'The mole would not have known that it was the same wood. "'However, they set out bravely and took the line that seemed the most promising, "'holding on to each other and pretending with inceivable cheerfulness that they recognized an old friend in every fresh tree or and grimly and silently greeted them or saw openings gaps or paths with a familiar turn in them in the monotony of the white space and the black tree trunks that refused to vary it seemed they were lost an hour or two later they had lost all count of time they pulled up, dispirited, weary, and hopelessly at sea, and sat down on a fallen tree trunk to recover their breath and consider what was to be done. They were aching with fatigue and bruised with tumbles. They had fallen into several holes and gotten wet through. The snow was getting so deep that they could hardly drag their little legs through it, and the trees were thicker and more like each other than ever. There seemed to be no end to this wood, and no beginning, and no difference in it, and worst of all, no way out. We can't sit here very long, said the rat. We shall have to make another push for it, and do something or other. The cold is too awful for anything, and the snow will soon be too deep for us to wade through. He peered about him and considered. Look here, he went on. This is what occurs to me. There's a sort of dwell down here in front of us where the ground seems all hilly and humpy and hummocky. We'll make our way down into that and try to find some sort of shelter, a cave or a hole with a dry floor in it, made out of st away from the snow and the wind, and there we'll have a good rest before we try again, for we're both of us pretty dead beat. Besides, the snow may leave off or something may turn up. So, once more, they got on their feet, and struggled down into the dwell where they hunted about for a cave or some corner that was dry and a protection from the keen wind and the whirling snow. They were investigating one of the hummocky bits the rat had spoken of when suddenly the mole tripped up and fell forward on his face with a squeal. Oh, my leg, he cried. Oh, my poor shin. And he sat up on the snow and nursed his leg in both his front paws. Poor old mole, said the rat kindly. You don't seem to be having much luck today, do you? Let's have a look at that leg. Yes, he went on, going down on his knees to look. You've cut your shin, sure enough. Wait till we get at my handkerchief and I'll tie you up, tie it up for you. I must have tripped over a branch or a stump, said the mole miserably. Oh my, oh my. Oh, it's a very clean cut, said the rat, examining it again attentively. That was never done by a branch or a stump. 
looks like if it was made by a sharp edge of something in metal. Funny. He pondered a while and examined the humps and the slopes that surrounded them. Oh, well, never mind what done it, said the, role, for, said the mole, forgetting his grammar and his pain. It hurts just the same, whatever done it. But the rat, after carefully tying up his leg with his handkerchief, had left him and was busy scraping in the snow. He scratched and shoveled and explored all four legs, working busily, while the mole waited impatiently, remarking at intervals, Oh, come on, rat! Suddenly, the rat cried, Hooray! And then, Hooray, hooray, hooray! And fell to dancing a feeble jig in the snow. What have you found, ratty? asked the mole, still nursing his leg. Come and see, said the delighted rat. The mole hobbled up to the spot and had a look. Well, he said at last slowly, I see it right enough. Seen the same sort of thing before lots of times. Familiar object, I call it. A boot scraper. Well, what of it? Why dance jigs around a boot scraper? But don't you see what it means, you, you dull-witted animal? cried the rat impatiently. Of course I see what it means, replied the mole. It simply means that some very careless and forgetful person has left his boot scraper lying in the middle of the wild wood, just where it's sure to be tripped on. Very thoughtless of him, I would call it. When I get home, I shall go and complain about it to somebody or other. See if I don't. Oh, dear, oh, dear, cried the rat in despair at his obtuseness. Here, stop arguing and come and scrape. And he set to work again and made the snow fly in all directions around him. After some further toil, his efforts were rewarded and very shabby doormat lay exposed to view. There! What did I tell you? explained the rat in a great triumph. Absolutely nothing whatever, replied the mole with perfect truthfulness. Well now, he went on, you seem to have found another piece of domestic litter, done for and thrown away, and I suppose you perfectly are happy about it. Better go ahead and dance your jig round that you do and get over it, and then perhaps we can go on and not waste any more time over rubbish heaps. Can we get a doormat? Or at least sleep under a doormat? Or sit on a doormat and sledge home over the snow on it? Ugh. Do you mean to say, cried the rat excited, that this doormat doesn't tell you anything? Really, rat, said the mole quite pettishly. I think I've had enough of this foolishness. Whoever heard of a doormat telling anyone anything? They simply don't do it. They are not that sort at all. Doormats know their place. Now look here, you thick-headed beast, replied the rat, really angry. This must stop. Not another word, but scrape. Scrape and scratch and dig and hunt round, especially on the sides of the hummocks, if you want to find a dry place to sleep and a warm place to sleep for tonight. For this is our last chance. The rat attacked a snowbank beside them with ardor, probing with his cudgel everywhere, then digging with fury, and the mole scraped busily too, more to oblige the rat than for any other reason, for his opinion was that his friend was getting a little lightheaded. Some ten minutes of hard work, and the point of the rat's cudgel struck something that sounded hollow. He worked till he could get a paw through and feel 
then called the mole to come and help him. Hard at it went the two animals, till at last the result of their labors stood in full view of the astonished and hitherto incredulous mole. In the side of what had seemed to be a snowbank stood a solid-looking little door. Painted a dark green, an iron bell pole hung by the side and below it, on a small brass plate neatly engraved in square capital letters, there could read by the aid of the moonlight, Mr. Badger. The mole fell backwards on the snow from sheer surprise and delight. Rat! he cried in penitence. You're a wonder, a real wonder. That's what you are. If I had only had your head, Ratty. But as you haven't, interrupted the rat rather unkindly, I suppose you're going to sit on the snow all night and talk. Get up at once and hang on to that bell pole you see there and ring as hard as you can while I hammer. While the rat attacked the door with his stick, the mole sprang up at the bell pole, clutched it and swung there, both feet well off the ground, and from quite a long way off they could faintly hear a deep-toned bell response. That is the end of Chapter 3, The Wild Wood. I hope you enjoyed it, guys. So it seems like our two friends, Mr. Rat and Mr. Mole, have found the home of Mr. Badger deep in the middle of the wild wood during a terrible snowstorm. When we come back for our next episode, we are going to learn all about Mr. Badger. I hope you have a great day or a great night. Thank you for listening to this episode of Sleepy Head Stories. <laughs> Thanks, guys, for listening to this episode. And if you want to hear more, you can go on our website at sleepyheadstoriespodcast.com or check us out on Instagram or Facebook. Leave us a message, ask for a shout out, maybe request a book, and we'll get back to you. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs> <laughs>